Gratitude and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual. Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness explores living with grief, the gratitude that sustains us, and the greatness we find in connection with others. I'm your host, Sarah Shaul. I'll never forget when I first met Alden. We had a funny and bold introduction, and I was taken by how quickly he shared something so personal with me. I speak to Alden about how he is able to connect, heal, and experience joy after losing his son. Our meeting was really impactful for me. So I was with a group of friends, and we always lay out our blankets mm-hmm. and get there early. And we have this spot in front of the main stage. And mm-hmm. it was really early in the day, but it was really oppressively hot. And we're sitting on these blankets, and we're just sitting there, barely able to move. <laughs> and we're watching the band on the main stage at Pickathon. And then this group of teenage boys just kind of drift in front of our view. And maybe only about 10 feet in front of us, everyone's like, oh, man, why are those kids all standing in front of us? Oh, I wish they'd sit down. But just far enough, they're not in earshot of us saying, hey, would you please sit down? Not to put this on my friends, but they were really bummed out. And I thought, don't worry, I got this. In anticipation of the weather, I had gone out and bought some spray bottles. Uh Uh-huh. And I was giving one to each of my kids and spraying myself with this water the whole weekend and spraying other people. I turned the dial from mist to stream and I sprayed this group of teenagers in the back (laughs) straight across. And then they all just looked around and my friends are all like, sit down, sit down. So everyone sat down or so I thought because I was looking at my friends because they were all high-fiving me, which must have identified me as the person who sprayed because you turned around and you walked up to me. (laughs) And you were not a teenager. You just, from behind, you just look like a teenager like all the others. And you turned around and you just extended your hand and you said, dance with me. And I thought, what? No, no thanks. I'm hot. I'm not doing anything. Uh huh. And then you said, dance with me. I thought, oh, well, I guess I did just spray this guy in the back. But I was doing him a favor because it is like 105 degrees out. (laughs) But all right. Okay. So I get up and I walk up and I walk up to where you had been standing. There was actually one teenager still standing there. And you introduced me to your son, introduced us to each other. And then you turned and looked at me and you said... Uh, As I recall, I said, I'm not usually this sort of rude or forceful, um, but I just had my son die and I'm kind of in like a place where I'm not, I'm not willing to just be water, water shot from behind and not make a stand. (laughs) Well, what I, (laughs) something along those, along those lines. What I remember, I think I'm pretty clear. You said my son died a few months ago. And if I can be here trying to enjoy myself, then you can dance. Ah, Okay. <laughs> so I yeah. remember. And I <laughs> and then I just gave you this big hug like I've known you for a really long time. Mm. And then 
we danced for a few songs. Mm -hmm. And it was really amazing to me because I had been thinking about death and grief a lot. And I thought, wow, of all the people for you to share that Mm. with, I felt really honored that you shared that with me. And I also felt I really wanted you to be able to talk about your grief. I wanted to be able to be that person Oh, or whoever you choose, of course. But mm-hmm. um, I wanted to be open to being one of those people if that's someone you wanted to talk to. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of took that as like the world's talking right. to me. The universe sending you the... Yeah, exactly. And right after we danced, you said, hey, can I buy you a beer? And I thought, oh, I can't drink this early in the day. <laughs> and I thought for sure I would see you again. Mm-hmm. And then... You know, as these music festivals go, sometimes you don't see people again. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that that we get to talk today. I wonder if you could share a little bit about what sure. happened. Both my eldest and youngest and I went to Bend to do some snowboarding. And we were driving up to the ski area. So I was driving. My eldest was sitting in the passenger seat and my youngest was sitting behind him. And I turned to him and I said, dude, you got you to gotta put your tablet away. He was playing video games on the tablet. I said, you got to look out the window. The snow is falling. It's sunny and it's beautiful. You got to put that away and enjoy this. This is the moment. And so, of course, you know, he, you know, grudgingly put it away. I don't really know how, but somehow I lost control of the vehicle. We swerved on some ice. Basically, I was in the other lane and I got T-boned. So the car hit me, and you'd think in a in a more fair world, both of my boys would have survived that because they were furthest from the wreck. I needed to convince myself post-accident that I had done everything that I could. And of course, I didn't do anything. Like I was driving an out-of-control vehicle on ice. I yeah. wasn't. I didn't do everything that I could. I, it just is life. But in my mind, I had to tell myself that in order to somehow get through that early period of of just like what just happened. So in my mind, I had taken the hit. I had protected my boys and taken the hit. So when you say that, you mean your side of the car is what got hit? My side of the car is what got hit. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much smashed. I don't remember the accident, um, I think because of the concussion, but I broke eight ribs and my pelvis and my back and my shoulder concussion on my brain. And so I was in the hospital for the week after the accident. Actually, they do awesome things nowadays. They drilled a hole in my chest and reinflated my left lung, which was collapsed. And so apparently you can just push air into a vessel and then it will start breathing again, which is amazing. But yeah, I really felt like I took the hit. Like, if anyone should have not made it, it should have been me. But but that's not how the world works. Mm. My youngest, who was the furthest from, from impact, he should have been the safest. The weather was bad enough that they couldn't bring Flight for Life in, so they put him in an ambulance, and they drove him to the nearest place where they could land the Flight for Life. And he died in the ambulance on the way from the car to, to the Flight for Life. But there are also, like... God, it's hard and brutal and awful, and I don't wish this on anybody, but there are also like little nuggets of goodness, of positive human kind. 
And so one of the people at the rec saw my son had a young dog, um, Max the dog, a little dog, who was sitting on his lap. When they took him out of the car, Max fell from his lap. And somebody scooped him up and took him to the vet. And Max the dog died too. But mm. but it's sort of like, I don't know, it's, it's awesome that we do what we can, you know? Yeah. And like, people do what they can. It's awful, but it's also little nuggets of, you know, not awful. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that story. And of course, I'm so incredibly sorry for that loss. Yeah, me too. Grief grief is the weirdest thing because there's nothing that we can say to the other person. You want to say, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And then you're like, God, that doesn't feel like enough. And yet there's like nothing to say. When I hear, oh, I'm so sorry that that happened, all that I finally came to is, yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. It's losing a child is awful. It is definitely not. There's nothing good about it. (laughs) You know, it sucks. (laughs) It does Um, suck. When someone's experiencing grief, it's hard to know how to support a person who's grieving, mm. right? I know myself, I've really come short on knowing exactly what the right thing is to say and what the right thing is to do. Mm-hmm. I think for fear of saying the wrong thing, a lot of people just disappear. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what to say, so I'm just gonna... Say nothing, yeah. Or saying nothing or might be... Or actually worse, disappear. Disappear. Yeah. In these conversations I've been having... By and large, people appreciate people showing up, but not necessarily saying anything. Yep. Right? You have these moments where you're just like, I cannot get through this. I do not have enough energy to get through this day. And then people come by and you don't have to ask them to. You don't have to tell them that you're hurting. They just come by. And it doesn't matter if they say anything. And there's nothing that needs to be said. Sometimes it's just a big hug and yeah and and you're not alone right that's kind of all that we have the process seems like at first you're just can I get through this minute and each minute you're just trying to survive the minute and then you get to like you like level up can I get through this hour Then you start getting better at getting through the hour. Level up. I'm going to get through the day. (laughs) And it starts to get easier. You're sort of like, can I get through this month? You know? (laughs) But in the early days, oh my gosh, if people didn't come by, there's no way. And I think to your point on us not really knowing quite what to say or how to react, there's no communication about it. Grieving is like a thing that doesn't happen. And so... Before you're doing it, there's no talk about it. In our society, it's not like we talk about the other things. So you're saying we're just not prepared for it. I think we're not prepared for it. I guess maybe the easiest way for me to think about it is before the accident, when I thought about the absolute worst things that could happen, it was so much tamer than death. Because death wasn't ever even on the possibilities list. It didn't happen. It happened when you were, you know, 90 and your life was over. It didn't happen to an 11-year-old. That wasn't even a thing. Right. And then all of a sudden it did. And it was like, what? What's the next step? 
I didn't know how to even begin to communicate about it. I just was like, ah, what? <laughs> and so because I feel like we don't. We don't. Yeah. And I think I sensed that when I met you that weekend. I kept hoping I'd run into you mm -hmm. again so we could talk and so I could get your info and connect with you after the festival. And I did actually see you one day, but you were so in your zone that I didn't want to approach you or interrupt mm. you. It was really early in the morning, if I remember correctly, and you were playing the drums. And actually, I think some news crew was talking to you. Yes. Does that sound that familiar? Was a bizarre moment. Because I've not been in that situation. I was playing on my conga, uh -huh. taking a moment, and then they were like the sights and sounds of Pickathon, and yeah. did this little thing. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it ever appeared anywhere, but when I walked up and saw you, you they hadn't approached you yet. You were just on your own, but it was early in the morning, and I feel like it was kind of. Could it possibly have been misty out? How is that possible? When it was so hot. I just kind of watched you play your conga. And then I think the news crew came up. So then I inferred music was a big part of your life. Mm -hmm. I'm a drummer. Um, I've been a drummer for a long, long time. 30 years, I guess. I connect with people through music. So that's sort of my avenue towards connection. So I play in a group um, in Eugene, Sambaja. We're a Brazilian Batacuda drumline. Cool. So that's my sort of yeah connection with the outside world. But then it's also, you know, a creative outlet. And frankly, sometimes it's a place to put anger. You know, we do all the stages of grief and anger is definitely one of them. And it's nice to have a place to put it. It's a healing element for me. My children are obviously both into music. My son plays a lot of instruments, drums and bass and piano and ukulele and mando. My dad plays a bunch of instruments. My mom plays a bunch of instruments. Music is important. With your kids playing music and you playing music, does music help connect you? I don't connect with my youngest in that way. We never really explored music together. Mm -hmm. He had an interest in playing. He played a lot of piano, but we never jammed, like he and I jamming. We had one jam session. He was playing the bass, and my eldest was playing the ook, and I was playing the drums. And then we had one other a little video that we put together for a great aunt's birthday where we all sang together. But other than that, we didn't ever really connect on that level. We did a lot of rock climbing together, and we did a lot of like sports and boffing. And, What's um, boffing? Boffing is just, so you take PVC pipe and you wrap it in pipe insulation, you know, those like uh -huh. tubes yeah. of pipe insulation. Mm -hmm. And then you can duct tape it. And then it's like a sword. Oh, Yeah, fun. it's a foam sword. My youngest had kind of like nunchucks that yeah. he built. Oh, my gosh. And so, yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> sort of a... <laughs> Did you guys wear like headgear or anything like that? No, no, but they're soft. I mean, they're they're padded. Okay. Um, and, you know, you, you avoid headshots. Okay, good. At all, <laughs> Those nunchucks have possible. me kind of worried. <laughs> well, they're foam. Okay. They're, you know, it's all, it's all soft. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but as a mom, I can totally understand. <laughs> I can totally understand and concur. There's a safety risk. Yeah. So here you were grieving. And at the same time, you have a son to care for. Uh-huh. 
I'm wondering how that affected you to be forced to be there for him. I'm not really sure what his recovery was like. We all grieve at different levels and at different paces. You know, and I know that he got support from his mom through that because I was in the hospital, but she wasn't involved in the car accident. So she was able to come out to the hospital and be there for him in those early moments. They can't tell a child that another child is dead. They need parental consent to do that. And I was not conscious. Mm -hmm. And so his story is so much harder in so many ways than mine. And that I got knocked out and I know nothing. And a week passed. And in a way, that's hard because it fills you with wonder. Not wonder like amazing wonder, but wonder like what happened. There's this week that's just a black box. Mm -hmm. But his is the exact opposite. His is a full knowledge of what happened. A full experience of the cars smashing into each other a memory of me screaming in pain and not hearing anything from the back seat and knowing that that wasn't a good sign, knowing that I was clearly okay because I was right. was screaming, not silent. And so then he arrives at the hospital where he's not given any information because he's not 18 and they want to keep him under supervision. So he can't come find me. I'm in surgery, right? They're drilling a hole in me and reinflating my chest. So his mom was the person who could be there for him then. So I guess getting back to your question, I guess it's a bunch of people helping out. Like it's a bunch of people knowing that this kid is going to need support. Yeah. And providing it when he expresses a need or even when you perceive a need, knowing that teenagers are not going to come forward and say, this is what I need. Right. He's a senior in high school at the time. He's figuring out a bunch of change in his life. I guess it's different people jumping in. I'm thinking a lot about the extremes of your positions where you completely have no memory of the incident, which is kind of its own form of torture, but almost kind of, I could see the relief in not having to relive that, right? But your son is the holder of this information. Mm -hmm. And that's a heavy load for him to carry. Yep. I could see where that's, that's really tough. Yeah. At 17, it's, you know, I mean, I think about I'm 41 and it's a heavy load. <laughs> yeah. And life teaches us something. So I feel like the older we are, the more capable we are at dealing with this kind of stuff, but maybe not. Maybe it's just different people. It doesn't really matter how old you are. It's just whatever your skills are. Yeah, or just, maybe it's a little everything. <laughs> it's a little everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you guys talk about the incident? Yeah. Yeah. I try to pay attention to sort of how he is. And I've had to learn how to do this. I didn't know how to do this from day one. Kind of paying attention and knowing when to ask, when is appropriate to ask, when to kind of check in, and when to just give him space. As I have gone through this, I've, of course, because guilt is one of the things that we do, dealt with or begun to deal with the specific guilt of, did I make a mistake? 
And so I've asked him about that. And it's funny because he doesn't want to indicate guilt. Like he doesn't want to throw me under the bus. So he's trying to be kind of careful. But I have to be like, there's an honesty that you have to find. Your whole self needs to know. So yeah, so we've talked about that. And, you know, we've just talked about just the challenge of how life is different, how they both used to talk a lot. And and they were six years apart? Five so, years apart. Five yeah. years apart. Yeah. And so they were they sort of going, I mean, my wife moved out two weeks before the accident. So that was the beginning of the end of marriage. And from his point of view, that was his his parents getting a divorce and he would have gone to his brother to have that connective mm. tissue to go through yeah, that. Yeah. And then of course he couldn't talk about that with me or maybe he could have, but I didn't handle it very well. You weren't handling the divorce very well. Is that what you mean? I don't think that I handled all of it happening at once very well. I let it all get munged in my brain. Well, I don't know if there's any right protocol for how to manage that, right? So <laughs> We so, just get through it, right? <laughs> so uh, I might say, uh, yeah, go easy on yourself with that one. Fair enough. Yes. That's what my therapist says, too. <laughs> <laughs> so you're grieving the split in your marriage. Kind of at the same time, yeah. Yeah. I didn't separate the two. They were very much just hurt and missing. And I remember one time when I was in the throes of just sadness and talking to my eldest about how much I wished that things could have been different between his mom and I. And him saying, Dad, why are you so focused on this? This is not the focus. And of course, he's right. My child was the focus, but my mind did a funny thing where it did this, like, one is gone and one is not. And yet, gone for me. Like, it's divorce is a lot like death. If you still like the person that you were married to, you just miss them. And in the same way that you do your children, like, I, I longed to smell my son's hair and to give him a hug. And I longed to smell my wife's hair and give her a hug. And I longed to share stories about my day with one or the other. And I longed yeah. to read stories with one or the other. All the things that I wanted to be able to do with either of them, I couldn't do. Right. You know, it got muddy for me because, of course, divorce is not death because the person is still alive. And you can still have a friendship after with divorce, whereas you cannot have a friendship after with death. In the moment of it kind of just like crashing down, I couldn't separate that. I didn't have the knowledge yet to make that distinction. I would imagine it would be really hard to separate out. And some of the feelings were so similar. Yeah. And to feel that all at once. Yeah. Tricky. That is tricky. No question. <laughs> yeah. We want those things that go away in our minds the quickest to me. The smell, the touch, the hearing of the voice. We have equipment that allow us to mimic some of the other things. Like we have pictures and we have video. We can see the person. But the things that we can't mimic, I think, are the things that we maybe go through the earliest longing for. 
I'm imagining like the pressure that they put on your arm when they grab your arm. I bet everyone uses a little bit different. If someone comes up from behind you, sometimes you can tell who they are just from the way they... Yeah, yeah. Tucking him in is definitely one of my hardest. Tucked that kid in every night for years. And then suddenly, yeah, you know. What did you like to read with them? <laughs> we had a really good situation at my house with the boys. So my wife would read a story to all of us. In a way, I got to sort of be a child because I got to lie with them on the carpet and listen to the stories. But we used to read Mysterious Benedict Society. Oh, yeah. We're reading that right now. Are you? Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. We've read the first. We're on the second book now. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. Um, Wildwood. Oh, yeah. um, The Harry Potter series. We're on the same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then he read his own books. And that's been an interesting kind of learning, too, is to understand your little people that they have their own lives and sometimes you're not actually as much a part of it as you think you are you're feeding them and you're making sure that they make it to their appointments and get their extracurricular activities but then there's this whole self that is their personality at school which may be different from what it's like at home how they are with their friends and there's this whole aspect and so i never paid attention to what he read until we're just now going through his room and going through his books and being like oh these are all these books that this kid read he was really smart you know he's sort of one of those gifted and talented kids i always thought he was going to be my payback for being not a great teenager. Um, Because I always kind of thought that he was going to be the one that pushed the right buttons in the right ways because of that intelligence. Mm -hmm. You know, his questioning of the world. That he was a rock climber. I actually had a great last summer with him going around to all the climbing competitions. And he and his brother both climb. And so getting to like watch them climb together and... How cool. How early did your kids get started in climbing? I think when he was four or five. Wow. And we have some tiny shoes that would match that, I think. My youngest didn't start climbing until he was a little older, but he must have been seven or eight when he started. He learned a lot from Purple Paul and the camp at Pickathon. Purple Paul is the ringleader of the Circus Cascadia camp that comes to Pickathon once a year. Mm-hmm. It's a place where a lot of parents park their children so that (laughs) they can enjoy the festival, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a place to deposit your (laughs) children and go enjoy music. He got into standing on one of their balls and then juggling. So he'd stand on a ball and hold it in place while juggling. Wow. And, And this was a skill that he practiced in my office. I have one of those balls that you sit on when you work. Mm -hmm. So he practiced that. He would stand on that ball and get to where he could balance his weight on top of it. He always complained to me that he didn't feel like he was very capable in terms of his body and sports and whatnot. But actually, he very much was. He just hadn't yet, he hadn't lived long enough to have understood that he had it. But he would do things like pogo without hands. So he'd get on his pogo stick and he'd lock his knees around the pogo stick and then he'd bounce with his hands up in the air. That sounds scary. Right? As a mom. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, and skateboarding. And yeah, he was into using his body. 
played music. He was a wonderful pianist. We have some footage of his early, early concerts where he would walk up very proud in his four- and five-year-old self, very proud and very focused. And then he would sing and play. He would sing every note as he played every note. His brain needed to connect the sound with the sound. And so it was just very, very cute. He would come up and sing and play and take it all very seriously. And you have a recording of this? I do, yep. Oh, that's pretty great. (laughs) It's all about the recordings when it's all said and done. It's You don't think about it when your kids aren't going to die, but you're super grateful to have them later. I bet. So it's one of those things where I lived and I didn't worry about making a recording of most things. I'm grateful that my ex-wife was behind manning the camera. (laughs) We need them because otherwise you don't have a way. (laughs) Have people surprised you with photos and videos that you didn't even realize were out there? I put out like a request for people to upload. People just shared their Google Drive photos and whatnot. A lot of people have pictures. And it's nice to see the other time that your kid had, the other friends and the other activities. The side you didn't see. Yeah, right? And you think, oh, as a parent, I should have known all the things that he did and all the times. But no, that's not realistic. We're all doing and we're all busy. And as parents, we're really busy. We ask questions like, how was the birthday party? But, you know, we don't ask for the details about what happened at the birthday party. Or if they're shared, they're shared. But it's conversation and it's not like a bunch of questions and, you know. But then you get these pictures and you're like, oh. It's so much more telling, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then usually like, how was the party? Fine. (laughs) Right? Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Did you have fun? Yeah. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Well, what'd you do there? Well, I don't know. We played games. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Are you and your ex-wife able to console each other at all? Not really. But we have actually just recently begun to process his bedroom. So that's actually been a pretty positive experience. We've done two sessions now. It's a, an opportunity to kind of remember. Yeah. Is it helpful for you guys to process that together? I think so. Yeah. I think we're both grieving very differently. But I think it's still helpful to have the memories is good. In the first year, a lot of people are willing to continue to talk about things. But then in the second year, it seems like people are back to their lives. There's a hesitation, like... People aren't sure whether or not they should ask, or they're not really sure whether or not they should bring it up. They don't really know, so they want to sort of leave it to you to bring it up. But then there's this weirdness of, well, I don't want to be the party pooper who just wants to talk about my dead kid all the time, so then I won't bring it up. It's this weird, unspoken thing that I haven't figured out how to navigate. And so what happens is I hang out by myself and tell stories about my son to me because I want to talk about him. But they're my stories every time. They're the ones that I remembered, you know? And so this has been nice to hear some of her stories in a different perspective, and they add to the color of it all. So so that's that's been good. My eldest son is not ready yet to speak as openly, maybe, about those stories. Or I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't make any any guesses. I spoke with one woman, and she had shared about how 
there's an annual celebration of life that they do for her deceased husband. I thought that was really amazing that she's been keeping this up for many, 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 many years. Mm. It's not like grief is going to follow that timeline. Like, okay, this is the week we get to do this and talk, right? right? It's on its own mystery clock, right? Yeah. It presents itself in oftentimes surprising ways. An example, we're going to go skiing tomorrow. And I'm terrified. It's the first time skiing. And I know that my own emotional presence will be something that I will have to focus a little bit more on. I'll have to do a little bit more deep breathing and sort of meditation in order to be okay. I'll have to make sure to reserve some time to be sad and kind of like give myself that freedom because I know that it will present itself. The grieving will present itself. And so I guess I'm only bringing all that up to just sort of indicate that it surprises us in its weird ways that it would manifest. It's not logical. Like there's nothing logical about this experience. You know, it just sort of happens. You know, the birthday, right? That's sort of like, you know, the death day. Those are sort of obvious ones. Yeah. Christmas is always brutal. You play in a band where the music is really joyous. Yeah, I suppose so. Right? Is it a Brazilian? Yeah. 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 I mean, samba is definitely... Yeah. um, Yeah, upbeat and positive. Yes. Do you feel like being in a band that plays that kind of music does it help counter the grief at all? It's not like the band you're playing in plays dirges, I guess. What I'm right, getting yeah. I just, in my mind, I'm seeing the juxtaposing of you playing this very celebratory, very lively music uh-huh. and knowing that within you, you hold this very tragic sadness. And I'm wondering how those things play out when you're playing right, in your band. Yeah. The music that we're playing doesn't make any difference. The two major gifts that I received from playing in that group, the simple one being that it gives me an opportunity to just make mistakes and be human and not have to be hard on myself for that. I can go in and I can make a mistake and I can smile about it and try not to make it again. Nothing bad happens for the mistake. The music doesn't even sound awful. It's just like, uh, that Kaisha player did something weird, but whatever. And then the second gift that I get is I get to be out in front of other humans and connect with them. Maybe it helps that it's positive music because we're connecting in a positive way and they're dancing in a happy way and there aren't dirges, in which case they would be sad, but they're happy You know, I focus, of course, first on the children and their excitement about the instruments and their faces that light up. I mean, I get to also engage with the parents, just everybody who is dancing and having a good time. And so I get that human connection. So I guess in a roundabout way, yes, it matters that the music is positive, but only because it's what makes people happy and I like their happiness. We couldn't do it if we were playing dirges, though. You make a very (laughs) valid point. But playing a dirge wouldn't bother me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My other band plays 80s cover tunes. Oh, okay. Things like The Cure. And those are not 
very particularly upbeat, <laughs> right. but they have a beat to them and people dance to them. And that's, again, it's the gift of connecting with another human who is moving their body in a joyous way. Kind of like when I met you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm all about moving the body in a joyous way. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual in Portland, Oregon. This episode was produced and edited by Jack Saturn. And me, Sarah Shaul. The music was by Samantha Jensen. Visit us online at griefgratitudegreatness.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at griefgratitudegreat. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a review. Your feedback helps our show and helps us find new listeners. If you have a story of your own that you'd like to share or topics you'd like to hear more about, we'd love to hear from you. Call or text our show at 503-454-6646 or send us a message via the contact link at griefgratitudegreatness.com. Be sure to let your friends know about us and join us next time. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you.